0: This is a test. This station is conducting a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Thunderpud number two, and I'm proud to present the Good News with the Reverend Doctor volume five. I turn you over now to your co-host, Agent C.
2: Thank you, sir. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello how's your week been busy yeah busy yeah. here it's a busy week man i'm telling you it's been a weird week too it just feels like i don't know everything's happening all at one time but it's going so slow <laughs> like, if you can if you can understand that. <laughs> <laughs> i think anybody with kids understands the yeah little brother yeah
1: or, or even with a job, you know. I yeah. mean, yeah, yeah.
2: Just, I mean, just, everything has just piled up at one time, and time has just struck out. Um, anything new in the news? You go. What What do you got? Anything new,
1: guys? I tell you, my week's been pretty. I hadn't pretty paid a lot of attention. Shitty. Yeah, actually. Me, me either. I, yeah, I, I, I haven't really been tuned in this week. Not as much. Anything as usual. new
2: with with the Jesse? Anything Didn't new?
1: I think he got rode off the show. It seems like that's new.
2: <laughs> it just got wrote off in general? Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. It or, seems like he did get rode off. I know uh, Joe Biden entered the uh, presidential campaign. That's, you know. <laughs> a creepy
2: Uncle Joe. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, I wonder if he'll feel his way through this uh, election cycle here. It's so know?
2: funny because about a year ago, or maybe even two years ago, my timelines are terrible. You know, you saw the memes with Joe Biden. It's like, oh yeah. You know, the funny memes <laughs> oh, with, with Joe Biden. The like, ones with him, like him and Obama. Yeah, right, right. right. Yeah, it's like I'm, I'm not, I'm not getting this. You know, it's this so funny. Trump, Trump. You know, I'm not giving him the secret code. Yeah, yeah. The know? thing
3: that's so funny to me is how they they're pushing Biden as the alternative to Trump, but candidates like him is how Trump became God, president. God, so, yes. Uh, you know, a friend of mine at work was, uh,
1: you know, trying to get me into a political conversation, which I just don't do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, really, only time I talk politics is here right. on this show. And, um, you know, he's obvious. You know, I, I, don't, I shouldn't say obvious, but I, I took it he was not a Trump guy. You right. Know? He was like, yeah, it looks like Joe Biden's entering the race, you know. And we were talking a little bit, and I was like, well, what do you think? He was like, well, I think he may be the only person that could be Trump. And I was like, I don't even think he can at this point. Uh, I'm predicting right here, right now, Trump wins Absolutely 2020. Not. I think right now we just got to figure out how big of a landslide he's going to win by.
2: And Unless, <laughs> uh, I would say unless, and who's, oh, I hate to call him a kid. He's what, 35? Kid to us, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's his name? Um, the young guy that just entered.
1: Oh, uh, it's a Ben. Oh, I don't know. Brother, oh I
2: gosh. I haven't really been following Oh, him. this is terrible. I <laughs> don't even forget. Uh um, you talking about
3: that Beto guy?
1: That's who I was thinking, maybe like Beto. Right. Well who who's the Asian that, that may be in? Is it Wong maybe? Is that? I, like I can't say. It. I know. I know. We're we're very prepared today. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
2: the, okay. This is a prime example of this week.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, um, man, today might be the accumulation of
2: <laughs> Just a slow,
1: not the best week. Not a terrible week on my end, but definitely, definitely not the best.
2: Yeah. Let's see. All right, who are we looking at here? Um, well, I know we got
1: Warren, who's you know, I believe Warren. she's running. Harris is running. Um, I guess I don't know if that's been official, but I know that their their names have been. I mean, it, up. it's going to happen. It, it will happen, absolutely. Um, obviously Biden being the main, you know, the main use right now. Uh,
2: uh pete is it is that
1: pete you go ahead brother
3: <laughs> you, you, you try to pronounce that last name but
1: a but a gig or something like that
2: I'll say, i
3: won't say it's
2: no maybe he's not the him. one
3: who's gay isn't he i,
2: I think was, so i, I think, think
3: he is yeah yeah
1: pete buttling or whatever but a something but gig. Butt gig but a gig
2: <laughs> <laughs> stop it yeah no. We have, we're not saying a word brother camilla, we didn't say uh, a word <laughs> camilla harris uh kamala yeah kamala oh yeah, harris, kamala
1: harris. Sorry. i can see those memes already with kamala from back in the day i've already, already
3: yeah i you try. know his real name's james harris and there was one that says oh, no shit. and it says there's only one kamala harris i had no fucking idea Whoa. i had no idea that was the yeah. last
2: name <laughs> okay. uh, andrew yang
3: yeah,
1: Yang, yeah. that's who I was trying. I said wrong by mistake, but yeah, I think uh, that guy was actually on a couple of talk shows, a couple of podcasts over these last couple of weeks. I haven't watched them myself, but I hear this guy's pretty centered and actually maybe has some sense, which I think the Democrats need at this point is somebody with some sense. Well,
3: <laughs> I think there's only, there's only going to be two real options. It's either going to be Biden with Kamala Harris, yeah. or it's going to be probably Beto with Kamala Harris, yeah. I think.
1: Yeah, I think either way Harris will end up on the ticket. Yeah, I I believe so. I don't know much about her. Uh, What little bit I've seen, she doesn't seem too bad. I mean, she seems like she's got you know some sense to her from what I can tell. I
3: mean, I think she's kind of a Democrat name only. Right, right. (laughs) Kind of one of those. Well, one of those just like Joe Biden and what or John McCain. One of those people. Yeah, you know, very pro war on drugs, Uh, very pro taxes. You know, pro war. Yeah, pro pro war, all that. Um, yeah
1: like I said I'm not very familiar I've, I've heard her name come up a few times Elizabeth Warren I think she pretty much already you know is on her way out I, Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure she's not going to make it uh, Bernie um, obviously you know Bernie I do he's, he's going to go very he, far he's still this time. kicking around you know I, <laughs> and there's still people out there Bernie your Bust I mean they're out there I, I know
2: and I see
3: it and I'm like Wow, guys. Not guys? I, mean, I mean, in 20 years, we're going to remember Bernie as our Ross Perot. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yes. yes. Yeah. That, that's so a great it's, analogy. <laughs> yes. He's going to be this guy that made a little bit of noise and went away.
1: Yeah, and, and got people, you know, into it. You know, there was definitely the Ross fans, you know, yeah. and, and oh, these,
3: yeah, for these, sure. These
1: Bernie brothers, I'm telling you guys, they're. They're, they're a different breed. Yeah. They really are. I'm talking yeah. about the Bernie or bust people. Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're a different breed. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I thought of some of what Bernie said made sense. You know, I'm not going to sit here and shit all over him. I think some of it didn't. Right. But I think Bernie has some good messages in there. I mean, you know, a populist. But um, I just don't know how practical it is, nor he's
3: so old now. Well, on some psychology <laughs> level, he's what young people want. I mean. Yeah. If you think of the every stereotype of millennials, you know about, he's this grandpa figure kicking a money, saying, "Hey, it's going to be all right. I'll pay your rent."
1: Yeah, I will pay it for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and you know, Bernie, somebody, somebody does have to pay for it, man. And um, like I said, you know, the I, I know we're not talking politics per se, and I know today's not just shit on the Democrats' day, but the Democrats to me, because I used to be a very hardcore Democrat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, my whole life, I came up Democrat, I mm-hmm. voted Democrat on my life. Just seems like somewhere down the line, the Democrats have lost that centered working class mentality. They're, they're so much identity politics now. Mm-hmm. People, most people tend to shy away from identity politics, and I think that's why Trump. I hate to say it, but I think that's why Trump kind of you know is where he's at now because he kind of reached out to
3: everybody. Well, and, I only voted three know. times, which I think we talked about before on one of our shows. In two thousand eight, I voted for. I want to say Bob Barr, maybe. It was was right when Ron Paul jumped out. Yeah, I remember that. I think I voted for him. Then in 2012, I voted for Gary Johnson. And in 2004, I really don't even remember who I voted for. I think I might have voted for Lyndon LaRouche. I I can't. I can't even remember who I did, but then it, after 2012, I quit voting. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm.
1: I will vote. I still, I still do think it counts. Um, you know, I <clears throat> used to think wrestling was real too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, it definitely. You know, it, it, regardless of, of if the vote counts or not, which I do think it does. I think it at least gives people that I'm participating, I'm helping. Well, I think it I'm counts. I just
3: don't think it matters.
1: There you go. Yeah, yeah. By the time they get to that point. They've already been bought
3: and sold. I mean, I think think, it matters as much as who wins American Idol. I guess. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Maybe
1: less. Maybe (laughs) less, (laughs) actually. Yeah. American Idol might still have a little bit of actual competition (laughs) in
2: there, and you know, um, I guess honestly, what it really all boils boils down to is you know who's on social media and. Who knows how to use it with some yeah. common
1: sense? Well, that's the thing, man. And who can appeal to the youth? I mean, really appeal. Yeah. Well, what's going to really hurt the Democrats and why I'm. What's, you know. what's their meme game like? That's it. <laughs> and we all know the left can't <laughs> leave. <laughs> Well, and you know, man, with the with the primaries, dude, the the Democrats are going to k- destroy themselves. I mean, by the time you have yeah. a winner out of those no, primaries, no, no. they're going to be so beat up by yeah. their colleagues that Trump is just going to be able to steamroll them, man. I'm telling you, Trump, he's an asshole, mm-hmm. and he gets down to that gutter level, and if you know, if you can't compete with that, yeah. I mean, you're not going to be able to approach this man sensibly with reason. You're not going to do it. He's going to insult the shit out of you. And you're going to have to be able to take it and give it
2: back. Oh, let me ask you this, because I I, I saw this pop up on Facebook yesterday, um, locally, at the um, the tag office. Okay. Okay. Um, You know, if anybody's familiar with, you know, North Carolina license tag office, you know, that's where you get your license tag, blah, blah, blah. Pack a lunch. Pack a lunch. (laughs) You're (laughs) going to be be there there for a while. You're going to be there a while. But there's stuff. (laughs) They're on sale while you're waiting. You can pick through. And there are a line of of 2020 Trump hats. Let's keep America great again. They're there. Yeah. 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 Now, let me ask you this. Is, Is that a government building? Yeah, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah, I
3: think so uh, if,
2: Yeah, I'm not I mean, I can't say right.
1: With 100% certainty Weird. But I can say about 99% Yeah, I mean yeah. It's the state it,
2: Yeah, Is that Legal? I, I, don't, I don't know, if know. I, I don't know If I want to say legal <laughs> As the, the word Is it right? Yeah, I mean I don't know I don't know uh, yeah, that, that's where, you know, it kind of gets a little fuzzy,
1: you mm-hmm. know, right now, because we have capitalism and we have a huge businessman, but he is the leader of the executive branch of government. So I don't know.
3: I don't know. Right. Uh, it'll ne- it, to me, it'll never not be funny walking into the V.A or anywhere, and seeing Donald Trump's giant frame picture right by the door? Oh, no shit, man. There, there's still
1: times where I hear President Trump, and I'm like, what?
3: <laughs> I mean, still to this day, man, I heard it
1: on the news yet, or on something, I don't watch news anymore. But uh President Trump, blah, 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 and I'm like,
0: fuck.
2: I, I yeah.
1: haven't gotten used to it. I just haven't gotten used to it yet. Like, I'll never get used to it, dude.
2: It, it's like saying, Vince McMahon. yeah Yeah. i mean seriously president mcmahon Mm -hmm. there it is which one day could absolutely happen
1: there you go yeah we're looking at pictures here online it's got uh keep america great trump 2020 in our local tag office um that that
2: was sweet they put a a black uh (laughs) mannequin they they
1: did man they got diversity yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) their mannequin heads are very diverse here (laughs) Yeah, I think, man, if you're going to do that, then you should have the other side, too. I mean, that's how I look at it. If you're going to have, you know, Trump hats, then you should have Democrat hats in there as well. I mean, that's how I look.
2: But that's the thing, you know, and that that's almost the, the, the wicked genius of, of Trump is he's he he knows how to market himself oh hell just man. like that <laughs> there can, is nobody on the other side that can market no, themselves no, like that no i man, mean whether,
3: whether we've always been this way or whether we we became it over time Trump's genius is that he realizes that what America is is it's a
2: place to shop. Yes. It, it's a giant mall. Damn yes.
1: right, man. We we are a yep, land he of consumers. Yeah. And yeah. He, yeah.
2: Slogans, logos, everything. Dude, he gives Branding his... Branding is everything.
1: Everything. Man, he gives his opponents wrestling names like Crooked Hillary. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: mean, <laughs> yeah. he does. Yeah. He does, man, and he gets over. Oh, my God, what, what was the <laughs> worst one he ever did? I, I heard he, he called... um We called Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas. That's the yeah. one. Yeah,
3: what the most vicious one he did (laughs) was? Do you remember when they had that guy who was uh, sending uh, fake mail bombs? to the place from Florida. Yes, Trump put up a tweet that had a picture of a blanket, and he said Pocahontas received a smallpox blanket. That's some shit. Oh my god, who who does that? (laughs) Who does that? (laughs) You know, you know who does it? Fucking people that we know,
1: assholes (laughs) that we all know. Yeah, and that's why a lot of people vote for this asshole, man
3: he's cartman as a <laughs> he, president. he is
1: oh my god yes he is fucking president yeah. cartman yeah <laughs> and people eat it up uh-huh. well you know i was watching uh tim pool i've been kind of uh following this guy recently he was the guy that was on the rogan show that kind of took the twitter uh president to task mm-hmm. um pretty liberal guy but he's kind of becoming a a right wing spokesman here lately because he's really been calling out the left on a lot of their you know hypocrisy and you know just some of these negative things that are coming out of the left that nobody really reports on as much and i was listening to him and like I say this guy in my opinion seems to have a pretty good head on his shoulders but he had a hell of a point and he doesn't like trump you know mm-hmm. let me put that out there too but he made a real good point he was like if you're about to get in a fight and, and a real fight mm-hmm. And you got two guys that's got your back. One of them's over here trying to be all diplomatic. Well, let's maybe try to find a compromise, or let's do this, let's do that. And you got the other guy over here like, this guy's a
3: fucking moron. Fuck this guy. Let's take this guy out.
1: Which one do you want backing you?
3: Well, a a thing that's really easy to understand is you don't respect somebody who's constantly apologizing.
1: No, you don't. And let's face it, Obama, and I liked Obama. I thought he was a pretty good president. I didn't think he was the greatest. I didn't think he was the Antichrist he to me he did come across as kind of soft he really did in my opinion you know he hell he went on an apology tour i mean come on man. whether or not that was deserved i'm not saying that he shouldn't have done that i think maybe he even should have but i'm sorry I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, <laughs> and you got Trump over here like I'm I ain't sorry for shit. <laughs> fuck, 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 all y'all, man! If you don't like it, and I mean, <laughs> and, and and but people, regular everyday people, respond to that because once again, going what Tim Poole said, who would you rather have your back? Uh, a, a well-spoken, well-thought-out person. Or, hey, look at these fucking assholes. <laughs> Fuck them all. <laughs> yeah. I'm going with that guy if I'm in a fight. Now, I'm yeah. not saying I want that son of a bitch to have the nuclear codes. <laughs>
2: right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which
1: is, unfortunately, what we do have right yeah, now. We don't, we
2: don't give him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't well, let him know where the MO is. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. Uh,
1: fortunately, Trump may not be able to enter the codes. That's the only thing we can hope yeah. for, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as long as it's not on Twitter, he might, you know, right. get a little get a little discombobulated there. <laughs> oh. Well, guys, I'll tell y'all what. I think we should go ahead and dive into today's subject. Absolutely. Um, Reverend Doctor, this is something that I know that you're you're an expert on. Obviously, I'm not an expert on anything. Uh, agency, I'm not sure what your um, knowledge is yeah, on, on, on this. So I'm really looking forward to it, uh, to just take in what you guys have, especially with you, Reverend Coast. Uh, I know this is an episode that we've all been looking forward to
3: well a thing that i was thinking about just now was how to tie in the discussion we were just having with with the subject yeah. and on the way here i passed a sorry about <laughs> that. that everybody went bad. to their phone that's my bad
1: i just thought it's funny when that phone went off everybody's hand went into yep. their pocket
3: <laughs> yeah is that um on the way here i uh, Basically, like almost just right down the street, past a Pizza Hut. And do you remember how Pizza Hut used to be when we were kids? Like, good. yeah, when it was good. good.
2: yeah. Like, I mean, they <laughs> what well, was a... the
1: place to go in Lincoln? <laughs> it yeah.
2: probably wasn't, but we were kids and it was good. It was good. That's, yeah. that's, yeah. that's sort of what I'm getting at. Is that
3: there's something about. That you look back on your your childhood. Right. And you, you look back on it with sort of rose-colored lens, lens glasses. Absolutely. I guess. But when you look back on it with more discerning eyes, there's things about just the culture in general that almost seems creepy. Right on. Like, we don't... How you were talking about with Trump, his big success, is that he realizes that America is a giant place to shop. Right. And the things we remember about our childhood like that it's it's more like the sensory overload that a kid gets from being in a shopping mall there you go right yeah and another one how just recently the the last movie i'd seen at the theater was us right. did you catch that i haven't seen it yet no. okay well i won't give any spoilers but hands across america the thing they did back in the yeah, 80s yeah and yeah. that's a big plot point which i won't say any more than that but okay I went back and watched some YouTube videos because I didn't remember it. Like, I was too young to remember it. Right. But the way the director talked about it is it's almost like the videos you would see where Susan Atkins and Leslie Van Houten, like all the Manson girls, would come out of the courtroom singing Christmas songs. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. That there's all these things about culture that seem, you know, sort of innocent or childlike at, at first. Right. But there's this really weird cultish undertone about them. And the big thing that I always think of, though, is how they used to advertise Scientology on television. Oh, dude. I
1: remember as a kid, that was Dianetics. What was it? Is it Dianetics? Is that right? Yeah. I mean, that book was advertised every day Yes. Yeah. when I would get off from school. And it would be shown during children's programming. Yeah. That's what blows my mind looking back. I mean, this would be on when, like, He-Man... Or the Transformers oh, yeah. were yeah. on. I mean, you know, yeah. it was a trip, man. You know, and it was all through daytime television, too. Like, if I would be homesick or something, I remember yeah. just seeing that volcano.
2: Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. All, like, all, all day. Well, see, I know. I remember, and this is my, you know, just being naive. honestly thought, I I didn't understand it at first. Oh, I, when I saw it. I was like, I thought it was, honestly... I thought it was some kind of diet thing.
3: Yeah, yeah. Because it put see, I always assumed it was like a Charles Darwin thing. Yeah, see, I right. thought it was like, like a, a self- science self- is in the name.
1: Yeah, well, yeah,
2: I, yeah or like a self help, self help
1: thing.
3: Yeah. That's kind of what I
1: thought because it even well, be like see, be like, a better person or yeah. something to that degree. Well, see, you
2: know? It was like yeah, dianetics You know, diet. Yeah. Well, see, yeah, because you know, at that time there was like what synergizing, synergy. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that whole thing through the 80s where it was just like this this craze of just um almost new age to a degree well the 80s was was like a
3: decade made entirely of cocaine oh jesus man yeah
1: well you had reagan yeah somebody had to fund those wars you know yeah (laughs) exactly that's what i've always said about the 80s everything was hyper Everything was hyperlized. Well, Everything.
3: The, the thing that's so weird to me looking back on and this is the 90s that, that I'm going off of in my memory, right. but how we all remember those commercials on TV yeah. of, like, the volcano going off yeah. and going, oh, that looks, you know. It looked cool. Yeah, that looks kind of cool. Yeah. But then you don't know what the hell it is, but then knowing what you know now, you're like, Fuck, they were advertising Scientology during children's television. Yes, yeah. man, a fucking cult. Yeah. I mean yeah. I mean
1: for lack of a better term. And it was a cool commercial. I think I even remember asking mom if we could get it, and they're like, hell no. Yeah. I mean, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 we're no, not man. we're not getting that, no, you know. No, no. I mean he man stuff,
2: but we're gonna draw the line at the Scientology yeah, Yeah. <laughs> No, no, like we no. we may
1: allow an Aussie an Aussie cassette in this house, but you're definitely not bringing that <laughs> no, shit. <here. laughs> no, you gotta draw a line somewhere. Yeah, got to draw that line, you know. And I don't even know if my parents really knew what it was, you know. But they were like, "No, hell no, you know, we're not doing that." Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, it it does kind of, it kind of blows your mind that this cult was advertising. All throughout the day, which tells you right there, man, that they had to have a hell of a bankroll. I mean, you got right. to spend money to be able to prom- promote like that.
3: Well, their their publishing company and the people who handled all of their public relations was Hill and Knowlton back in the day. The same ones that handled all the wars we fought in, basically. Right. The same one that like all the presidential candidates went through. I mean, they were the powerhouse. Right. The the, the real power. Yeah, The power behind the
1: scenes, you know.
3: Yeah, I think it only really changed um, after Time Magazine ran their story about their expose about Scientology. And they sued, and Hill and Knowlton were sort of put in a middleman position, forced to choose between Time Magazine and Scientology as to who... They had a future with. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> and so yeah. they went
1: with Time, Time yeah. Magazine. So, Ben, let, let me ask you, you know, I'm not, like I said, very familiar with the subject. Can you give a, like, a little bit of a background, uh, sort of what what is Scientology like?
2: Of course. You, how much you
3: want to know? Everything, brother. Let's start well, with, well, like, well, the
2: beginnings. Uh, yeah. the, the, the The creation of, of Scientology and, you know, where it came from, where it was founded. Okay. And, well, if we're going to talk about Scientology, you have to...
3: We have to filter this uh, as the way we would almost any big movement because there's something that happens. Well, I'll, I'll back it up even further than that. You can't really understand Scientology without understanding its founder because it's really just the crystallization of the views of its founder. Right. And when you're trying to study about or learn the life of L. Ron Hubbard from an academic perspective, you have something happens that happens with the founder of any religious or political or social movement which is that for reasons oftentimes beyond their control their biography gets pretty hopelessly corrupted right. for by either bias either positive or negative lies for political gain right embellishment so on and so on right. to the you get to the point where you have to examine multiple sources both positive and negative and, and try to pick out the truth Bef, yeah before a middle picture really begins to emerge right because you know hubbard's one of the most like polarizing figures i can think of in current american culture anyway
1: i, I would definitely agree with that 100
3: yeah there's now if you ask the church they're going to give this biography of him as being like you know the recent buddha or something exalted yeah Uh, right and if you ask apostates like people who left the church they're gonna say he was the biggest scumbag to ever live the devil (laughs) you know right but you know the truth is really probably somewhere in the middle the same as if we were talking about fucking you know anybody from Buddha like I said to Karl Marx to anybody any 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 person the founder the founder of any movement has a situation like that right exactly so, the way we can do this is I can give you sort of like a brief biography of him. Okay. Hubbard was born in 1911, in the early part of the century, in Nebraska. Um, as a child, his family ended up moving to Montana, where that's sort of where you begin to see the mythology around him start. Okay. Right. Where, according to his story, he taught himself how to break horses by age three. Uh, God, what, what? No seriously. Okay. Uh, He's ta- three. Yeah, breaking he, horses. He taught himself. He taught himself how to read, uh, and was reading classical literature and philosophy and everything before he started elementary school. Okay. And he became a blood brother to the Blackfoot Indian, and I believe this was before he started elementary school. Uh, also.
1: So he had a hell of a hell of a childhood there. Yeah, he
3: did. <laughs> well, he was exposed to a lot of things. His father uh, was a man named Harry Hubbard, who was a naval officer, and. Ron, as a child, used to accompany him on his tours to the Far East. And the stories go that when he was there, there were men that he met who had been students of Freud that he sat and listened to and just heard them talk, which was probably true. Yeah, sure. that That he soaked a lot of things in and just sort of picked and pulled things he liked. But then his part of the story that he tells says that he backpacked solo across Asia as a child and that he you know and that he mentored under uh, monks <laughs> as a child yeah as a child okay as a child now i mean th- there's a lot of embellishment going on but this mm. but there were a lot of things that, <clears throat> that laid the nucleus for who he became in life because he was a lot of things you know he was an amateur pilot he was Uh, a sailor he was an explorer and he was somebody who you know enjoyed going to far corners of the world and interacting with primitive tribes right and that's something you start also again seeing the nucleus laid in in these stories right so the story goes that around the time he reached college age he returned to the states and he attended george washington university and he had wanted to uh, study philosophy because that was sort of his natural bent and what he was interested in. Right. But the probably in reality, he realized there was no money in it. So he began studying uh, quantum physics. And, I did not know that. Yeah, I've never heard that. Well, see, the thing you have to understand about him is that everything there's the biography doesn't like greatly converge from fact. It's just that there was a truth to what happened with everything and there's like the bullshit the, the, version. Right, right. So the bullshit, well the true version is that according to his school transcripts, he only took one class in quantum physics that uh, he finished with a D and uh, dropped out. But the legend, yeah, however. The legend says that while he was studying in this program that he postulated a theory about a unifying life force that exists within all things. And the force, like from Star Wars, somewhat (laughs) pretty much. But uh, and this was this was later laid down in a book um, that he wrote called The Science of Survival, that says that you know if you take Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how you can condense it down and say that the primitive drives and everything are to basically eat, sleep, you know, fuck, find shelter, all that. Well, he said that there was a deeper urge beneath all of those, which is just survive. Right, which you know that makes sense. Right. It does make yeah, s- yeah. It, it makes yeah. sense. I don't know about it, like being profound though. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I was going to say it's nothing. You know, earth shattering. Right. You know, yeah. like survival well, being your main
3: driving. Well, factor. well he b- he built that as being the center point of this entire like book that was going to you know revolutionize yeah, right, everything. Right. So, the story goes he dropped out um, after he postulated that theory because he realized like he didn't need any more right. from right. it. So. He became a pulp fiction writer, um, which is where he made tons and tons of money, right. actually. Um, pulp fiction, you know, was called that because that was the type of uh, cheap paper that it was written on. Right. But he wrote in a v- large variety of genres, everything from Western to romance. Uh, science fiction was the big one, though. Right. And he hung out with a lot of authors who were big back in the day, like Carl Sagan, uh, Isaac Asimov, right. Arthur C. Clarke. You know, all those guys knew each other. They they hung out with each other, right? Um, and allegedly, he authored a lot of Hollywood scripts under pen name. Okay. Which I don't know. I really don't know whether that's true or not. I've never been able to find any verification whether it's true or false. But he right. said it. That
1: that's part of the the quote unquote legend. Once right. Again, right.
3: <clears throat> so around the time that uh, World War Two broke out, he w- went into the Navy. He was commissioned as a lieutenant. And he was uh, given commission over his own ship. And in for his part, though, Hubbard's service record has never been fully released to the right. public. And nobody's entirely sure why, but the rumor has always been it was because he was involved with Naval Intelligence Project that laid the groundwork for MK Ultra. Oh, no shit. He, wow. was, he was one of the architects for the program. I've never heard that one either. Wow. Well, yeah. that, that's, that's cool. I didn't
1: know
0: that.
3: Yeah. So... Up, uh, the story goes he was injured um, on uh, during a sea battle, I believe, um, and the this the where it ends up with him in a naval hospital is sort of what how would I say this? It it, it formulates the the grand myth. Scientology, okay. like similar to the resurrection of Christ, okay. I guess that it's that's the only word I can think of to call it as the grand myth of Scientology, which is that he healed himself of oh, his war okay. injuries, and not only did he heal himself, he healed himself through applied philosophical maxims that he had developed over the years, okay. related to uh, the power of like mind over matter, right. and right. not right. only that, but he healed other patients who were there as well. Okay, so. And this, this is what, of course, laid the groundwork for Dianetics. Okay. Um, after he got out of the service in 1945, he drifted around a good bit for the next four or five years. He ended up hanging out with uh, Jack Parsons out in uh, California, who was a disciple of Aleister Crowley. Okay. Um, who Hubbard was a big fan of as well, also. And Parsons was the guy who ended up forming Jet Propulsion Laboratories. Okay. And have I ever like told you about this story? Have you ever read no, it about no, how no. they were both occultists and there's an entire ritual they worked on called Babylon Working? No, no, I've never heard. This is the first time I'm hearing this. Uh, Agency, you know this one? <laughs> I'm not familiar with that one. Okay. Well, the idea was that there was a hypothetical ritual that Crowley had never. Accomplished, but it was called Babylon working, and the idea was to um, invoke a, a female antichrist figure. And so they were going to do it like through sex magic, through intermediaries, uh, okay. and Hubbard right. and Hubbard was going to act as a scribe for the ritual. Yeah, and
1: yeah, <laughs> I've never. Yeah, this is brand new to me. Yeah, this is. Yeah, so
2: we touched a little bit on on the sex magic. Yeah,
3: a little bit. Yeah,
2: yeah, and
3: what this all there's like no way to have like just a simple conversation yeah yeah like i don't even know how to go into it but these were guys who believed that you know demons were aliens right i guess and the idea was to invoke shit like that these otherworldly or other dimensional entities to bring them into our domain here. And what it did was, and there's an interesting timeline you follow because what happens in the immediate aftermath of this, uh, ritual was Roswell and all this shit that happened out there in that area. Yeah. Really? Yeah, Yeah. I've never heard this. Obviously
1: I've heard of Alex Crowley. I've heard of, you know, some of his, I guess some of his rituals and I've even heard that he did communicate with aliens or quote-unquote it's when it's, you know. it's the
3: exact timeline because this happens just before all the UFO shit starts I, yeah I didn't like all the different branches of Air Force Intel and Naval Intel around UFOs form forming um something like uh, a couple hundred confirmed sightings in the southwest no all at, around this time right. yeah and and parsons you know ends up dying in a lab explosion under really suspicious yeah. circumstances oh, okay. Okay. and you know hubbard goes on to do what he does to, to, to jesus man yeah i had no idea that there was any connection
1: between hubbard and, and Crow. i had no idea yeah so that's brand new hearing this shit. yeah
3: okay so, do you know, around uh, 1950 was when Dianetics was published. You know, him coming out of the uh, Navy and then bouncing around for a while, studying the occult and everything, That it all sort of culminated, I guess, with 1950 when Dianetics was released. Um, the easiest way I can explain Dianetics is that it's a word that he made up oh, okay he, he pulled out of his ass like do you know the meaning of the word no i do not in fact uh Reverend,
1: let me ask you a quick question have you read i'm assuming you have have you read it yeah, yeah okay okay
3: because i have not so i've read the entire thing yeah.
1: perfect perfect okay sorry that's yeah okay.
3: yeah Well, what Dianetics means is it's a combination of two Latin words that he invented and put together. Uh, Dia, which means across or through, sort of like the word diameter. Okay. I guess. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. dia and uh, edics comes from uh, the word gnosis. like sort of like imagine uh cybernetics like cyber thought okay but netics would mean in this case thought i see so dianetics would mean across the mind or through thought like so basically like it's it's a a diagram or a program of how the human brain works gotcha okay um a lot of people have this idea nowadays you know coming from all the shit that's come up with all the uh leah remini and all the sensationalism is that people think that when they open dianetics they're going to go headfirst into you know xenon world yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. but that's not something that comes to way 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 later when you paid a lot of money yeah like exactly dianetics is really just it's it's almost no you know what i can't say it's It's, bland reading because it's not like it's it's very dry very uh cultish type reading i guess because it Comes across like you're reading um, the instructions for programming stereo or a VCR, but it's about the human mind. Your, your okay. mind. It's yeah. like it's a laid out thing of like this is how the brain works. No shit. Okay. Uh, like, yeah. like a instruction like, manual. Yeah.
2: You know, at that time, it definitely, it, you know, it had that that new age feel to it. Right. where right. it was not. Uh, I don't want to say it, it, it wasn't so much over the top right and it was a little more inviting right right I was like okay i can well see, understand this if i if i read it like an instruction manual yeah i can kind of get okay i can understand that it's right. not over top it's it's not well another
3: thing it, is right. you have to go back in time to really understand it's 1950 because dianetics was a bestseller for around two years like right. number one bestseller all over the country right and it, it was a real fad like almost like the hula hoop yeah yeah um and the real reason why is because people have gone back, like uh, sociologists have tried to study the reason why it hit hit the cultural peak, I guess it did back then. And the, the theory I've read that makes far and away the most sense is that this was the first time that you had several factors all converging at once in American culture. The big one was you had almost the entire adult male population who had returned from World War II all dealing with PTSD. Mm-hmm. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. Over shit they mm-hmm. saw. Yeah. Um, right. You had the the second thing is it coincided with the, the cultural uh, paradigm shift of people moving from r- uh, rural communities into urban communities okay. right. where people have a lot more time to think and dwell on shit right. I guess and you're sort of dealing with sensory overload. Yeah. And the other one is that it coincided with uh, with Freud and there being a high level of interest in mental health. I see, right, right, up to that point. But the thing about mental health at that point in time was that it was still seen by the public as you know this uh, this refuge for the insane. Like people knew about lobotomies. Oh, right, right, and yeah, it, was, it still
2: was, some, was not a nice. Yeah,
3: it was something Kinda taboo. It was something you oh, didn't want to no, mess no, with.
2: No, right. And if the thing were still doing just ungodly experiments. I, I want to say experiments. Yeah, like, they were. Like, yeah, like, you know, like lobotomizing, electroshock. Yes, you know, it, it was a cruel, cruel practice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And
3: psychotherapy was seen by by the bulk of the public anyway. People who didn't live in New York or L.A. that lived in flyover country, right. they saw psychotherapy as being. Uh, very inaccessible very expensive and the word they would usually use is very jewish
1: oh really yeah Yeah, okay you know
3: because it was seen as like this new york jewish thing got you right so basically like translates into you know expensive and inaccessible right
1: right something out of your grasp of your everyday country boy yeah and
3: that was what dianetics was built as it was built as like a way you could clear your traumas with a friend if you want it for the price of a paperback book there you go it made it accessible it was literally lightning in a bottle for the moment right it it captured the cultural imagination for a time right so the way I can explain Dianetics laid out is you have to understand like the the definitions they use for things and they map out the brain or Hubbard maps out the brain a little bit differently um and there's several definitions we have to sort of go over um a big one is uh, a thetan. Right? Right. Do, you, do you know what a thetan is? Basically what I saw on South Park. A thetan R- is a soul. <laughs> okay, okay. It's a it's a fancy word for a soul. It was just that when uh, he would write out equations, I guess, or claim that he had written out <laughs> equations, quote unquote he equations. would use the Greek symbol for theta. Okay, I got for, you. To mean soul. I see. So you have that. Um, an engram is a fancy word for a memory. Okay. Under... Under his uh, idea of how the brain works, from the time you're born, or really even before, from the time you're in the womb, your mind works like a video camera. It captures every second of every memory. Right. Um, He sort of appropriates Freud's uh, left brain, right brain idea into what he calls the analytical mind and the reactive mind. Okay. So the analytical mind is the visible part it may as well be the whole brain but it's what you see it's what you think with it's what you do everything with throughout the day um the reactive mind is sort of this hypothetical part of the brain that's where all of your traumas are stored it could be like subconscious yeah in that neighborhood or it's uh, it's it's in that neighborhood that that's that's sort of close to it in okay. a way people can understand, but not entirely but accurate. I got but you. yeah, right. so it's where all of your traumas, all of your bad memories, everything, are become stored. Right. And what it does is the reactive mind puts stress on the analytical mind. Okay. So, what the process of auditing is, is, it's you and somebody else who is filling the role of a psychotherapist, right. basically. Will ask you to go over a traumatic event over and over and right. over again, right. and the idea is that you're discharging the power from that engram.
1: Basically, you're taking it from the the reactive part of your brain and putting it into the analytical part. Is it, would yeah, that, it, y- yes. To you expel you're it,
3: you're taking it out of the that bank and putting and, it into, into
1: another one, basically
3: to dissipate it. And the way you do that is by decharging the negative energy right. around it, and this, this is really like a lot of uh gobbledygook, I guess. Yeah. But it sort of boil. You can almost condense it down to talking about shit that's bothering you with a friend will make you feel better. Feel better. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's really just overcomplicating yeah. it. Right. With to sound more profound. <laughs> yeah. Than it is. Yeah.
1: Exactly. But it's something we all know is just how it is. You yeah.
3: Right. So that's the idea behind auditing, though, and what. Hubbard postulates in Dianetics is that if a person removes all of their traumatic memories from the reactive mind and moves them into the analytical mind, then they will attain a hypothetical state called clear, okay. with a capital C. Okay. And clear means you have no more, like I said, no more traumatic memories. Right. And that by doing that, he theorized that you would gain essentially superpowers. Okay. That you could uh levitate, walk through walls. Oh wow you, and the big one is that you would have whole track recall from the time you were in the womb. You could remember every, every moment. Wow. Like I could like if you were clear the way he postulates in the text of Dianetics is like I could ask you, all right, August uh tenth, nineteen ninety three, Thursday what did you have for breakfast? And I could tell and you you could like tell that. me, boom, like that. Just
1: know it, instant recall.
3: That's what a clear is. So let me
1: ask you, Reverend, would you consider the clear to be the highest level? Is, is there, I'm assuming in there's Dianet,
3: like a, In Dianetics, a clear is the highest the, level. The top, okay. But see, the thing that happened and the reason, the way we got from Dianetics to Scientology is because around... Again, we have to go back to his biography and say that there's an actual reason for things happening, and there's his version of the way, of why things happen. Right. In his version of the way things happen, he had continued his research for so long that he realized that the womb wasn't the beginning, that we led past lives, right. and that he right. continued his research, and that Scientology was the study of the soul. Okay. Uh, rather than just the mind. Right, okay. Now, the actual reason is because around 1952-53, you had tons and tons of people who were attesting to Clear and had none of the (laughs) superpowers (laughs) that he had advertised. Right. Right, So he had to, to not look ridiculous, he had to say, well... Wait a second. Well, There's more right there. going it's, on. Yeah. It's not
2: quite all of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, let's
1: add another chapter here, you know, add yeah. another step uh, to it. And
3: bit, that's what Scientology is. It's the study of the soul. Okay. So, now,
2: in my understand, at, at this time in fifty two that he had gone bankrupt.
3: He went bankrupt several times after right. dynamics <laughs> happened. And it... You know it wasn't through anything he did directly it was largely through mismanaged money like he was somebody who was really uh trusting with people uh i've always heard in interviews that um i believe this was with uh with arthur c clark who was describing hubbard and he said that the thing he'll always remember about him was he was like that guy you knew who would come into a room and just charm everybody present and say you know, I can tell you everything that's wrong with the world. I can tell you the secrets of everything. And then when he would get up, he'd be like, man, can I borrow 50, uh, 50 oh, bucks from he, you? Yeah. There it is. <laughs> then he was, <laughs> right, that, then right. he was that guy. <laughs> We've all known that guy. We all, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Now, did he also lose the rights to Dianetics? Yeah, he did. Oh, I didn't know he that. He did I've at never one heard point.
3: Um, I don't even remember exactly who it was that gained control of it. I think it was somebody that sued him. Um, okay. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's so. that's new to me. I thought that he would always just, you know, be the guy for that, you know. Yeah. So I guess he did get him back or or the estate, I would assume. Yeah, at one uh, point I, they kind of, you know, kind of came back. At one it, so point or another,
3: there was a lot of things like that that happened in the early uh 1950s. Okay. Got you. Um oh, you know, if you want to see a really good movie that's a that's a timeline of that happening, the last movie uh Philip Seymour Hoffman ever did is a movie called The Master. Okay. It's the story of uh, he plays Elron Hubbard. Oh no, shit! I didn't know that. And this was his final role. It, it was uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Joaquin Phoenix, Amy Adams. It was directed by the guy that did Boogie Nights. Oh no, what's the name again? The Master. Master. I've never even heard of that. Oh, it's another one of those that's like a double. Ti- like, have you ever looked at that? How all movie titles basically have double meanings to them? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, it's like you know, the master is in like the top guy, but also the mast of a ship. Yes, I I got you. Okay, I'm going to
1: have to check that out. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah. yeah that, that's, going, that's going on the list. Well, it, it, was,
3: it was one that wasn't advertised very widely. <laughs> right.
1: Let, do you think there might... Well, let me ask you a minute. All right.
3: Because it would have been career suicide in Hollywood. That, that's basically yeah. what I was going to ask. Yeah, that was my <clears throat> question. And there's yeah. an interesting uh, conspiracy theory that was popular a couple years ago that says it was the reason Philip Seymour Hoffman was killed. That
1: was another thing I was going to ask. Do you think there was any con- connection there?
3: I honestly don't know. Right. It's just, but it does make you scratch your head, you yeah, know? that's an interesting one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, the way I can start with Scientology is that it's another one like Dianetics, where it's a word that he pulled out kind of his of made, ass from made up <laughs> from reading a dictionary and looking at Latin words and it comes from the word cyano, uh, uh, which means um, which means the study of right No uh, with, sci- I take that back I take that back. It comes from cyano, which means knowingness or knowledge, right and then ology which means the study of right Right. so with Scientology we have the study of knowingness <laughs> or the study of knowledge <laughs> Knowledge. Yeah. yeah which it really doesn't mean, mean anything
1: <laughs> it's just the it's, knowing
3: of knowing yeah, yeah 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 knowing how to know yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> and god damn it worked <laughs> that's the real bitch about it man it fucking worked <laughs> well, I tell you what, guys. What, man? We're we're getting close. I, I am a doist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The the doing of doing and the things. doing of doing. doing things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was going to say, guys, we're we're about to get to the halfway point. It might be a good place to take a break, then we can come back and we can start hitting Scientology, like I guess from the beginning, you know, or from the beginning of the actual church. Yeah. Does that sound yeah. good, to you guys? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah. Well, don't go anywhere. We're going to have a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right. right. <laughs> What's up, Puds? This is Jason from the Pudcast with Jason and Mike, and I'm here to invite you to check out the premier video game store in the greater Charlotte area. GameSwap, located at 112 Northeast Court Square in beautiful downtown Lincoln in the great state of North Carolina. Whether you're looking to buy, sell, or trade classic consoles and games like Nintendo, Atari, and Sega, or modern systems like Xbox One and PS4, GameSwap has you covered. And GameSwap is much more than just a video game store. T-shirts, comics, records, toys, collectibles, and much, much more are all here. And don't forget to like them on Facebook, and hey, while you're at it, check out the podcast with Jason and Mike with a brand new episode dropping every Sunday. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and podcast.com. Music provided by Silence is My Canvas. All right, everyone. Slender Pud number two. We're back for the second half of the Good News with the Reverend Doctor, so I turn it back over to your co-host,
2: Agent C. Agent C, man. Um... We're going to go, and we're leaving Dianetics, and we're going into a totally different world now. Yeah. A completely, totally different place. We're
3: going to learn how to know how to know.
1: Yes. And I was going to ask agency, was that a pun, talking about going to other worlds?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. Yeah. Because, brother, that was perfect. I mean, you talk about a complete... In total one eighty mm-hmm. from what was invented or um designed to what was manufactured now is completely and totally different. It's out of this world. <laughs> literally, right? literally, yeah. literally out of this world, literally. So how does this begin? <clears throat>
3: The beginning of Scientology, as we were just talking about, is really the end of Dianetics. Right. Because one is the natural evolution of the other. You can't have one without the other. Like, even in current Scientology, Dianetics is called Book One. Okay. Calling it the Bible of Scientology really isn't entirely accurate, but it's very much like the foundational document. Okay. Because the way it would work is if you decided to get involved with Scientology, like, this afternoon or something... If you went into a an auditing center, they would say, okay, we're going to have you fill out a questionnaire. Right. We're going to have you um, start auditing through all of your traumas. And, you know, you would pay astronomical sums of money <laughs> right. for for hours of right. auditing. Um, I don't know how much it is now. I think it's a couple hundred dollars for an hour session. Jesus, right. Okay. Like, I mean, really... Uh, <laughs> Oh, God, I don't even know where to go with that. But,
1: <laughs> it's a hell of a business. I mean... No shit. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely successful, financially
3: yeah. speaking. And, you, th- know. you know, theoretically, you would go for ever doing this. I mean, some people might spend years on it until you reach Clear. Right. And then you would say, okay, what's next? And they would say, we're going to start working on the operating Thetan levels. Okay. Which right. is where we you learn about the soul. Right. Now, and... Calling Scientology religion requires some clarification too, because it is people like to say it's not a religion, it's a it's a scam. Right. That's not really true. It it is a religion, just not a religion in the way most Americans think of it. It's a religion almost in the eastern sense where imagine somebody who's like a novice or a neophyte <clears throat> meets with a shaman right. or um uh or a guru and they do this on an individual way, where somebody like works himself up through levels of mastery. Right. It's not like something where everybody goes into church on a Sunday and like <laughs> sings songs, right right, right? right. Like, I mean, it's it's a
2: religion in the eastern sense of the word.
3: Right.
2: <clears throat> well, but, we were just talking earlier, and it's really the purest American religion. Absolutely. Yeah. That it's, there is.
3: <clears throat> it's the first one that totally broke with the old world of you know Abrahamism right and became an entirely uh, and Eastern thought really too exactly and became an entirely uniquely American religion and like I said it's the first one where celebrity became prophet rather than vice versa
1: right and you know I said something to the effect and it's also to my knowledge the first religion quote-unquote religion that was you know brought to the masses by television right another American institution you know another American pillar which I find kind of ironic, and also the religion, quote unquote, religion is very self-absorbed. You know, it, I mean, the it's first what's place, inside, You know,
3: I mean, if we if we do <clears throat> play with that idea of Dianetics being the Bible of Scientology, the Bible was first sold in fucking supermarkets. Yeah, exactly, exactly, I mean, just like Dianetics. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, some of the you know. Not necessarily comparisons, but just some of the ways that these religions are. just One being you know, very Americanized is what I'm trying to get to. Right. It's marketing. It's marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to get to, man. Just how it was marketed and how it was brought to the masses was very Americanized. Very, so you know.
3: part of what happened was when Dianetics was first released to the public, the first the first people that Hubbard marketed it towards was the APA and the AMA. And he advertised, or he, he billed this as being the final conclusion of the theories Freud had okay. talked about, that where Freud began talking about the conscious and the subconscious, Hubbard said, this is the actualization of all that, and this is the way a person can cure themselves.
0: Right.
3: Now, when they got a hold of it, they read through it and said, this is qu- like quack theory. <laughs> like, I mean, this is... And, you don't even really seem to understand Freud fully. Like this is almost like a lunatic revision of Freud's ideas. Right. So that caused Hubbard to have a huge axe to grind against both uh, the medical community and the uh, psychiatry community, right. which he held to the for the rest of his life, and right. only grew and grew and grew. And if you look at how Scientology views psychologists and the field of mental health, it's not very kindly. Right. I mean, they're they're almost yeah. like mortal enemies in a yeah, lot of right. ways. But it, it all stems from that. From that, exactly. Yeah, basically, it all goes back to that. So, <sighs> Hubbard ran afoul of a number of different government bodies, like both the APA and the AMA, like I said, but also um, with the IRS for, for tax fraud, yeah. with uh, the FBI and CIA for a number of, like, really shady shit that was happening. Uh, mainly... Mainly it goes back to to dealing with critics. Like when people would leave uh, his inner circle, even back at the very beginning, and he was a really paranoid person who thought that they were going to ruin him. So he would say, okay, they got to be dealt with. And, you know, it was kind of like up in the air as to how far that went. Right. But these people would come to the authorities and say, this guy's a megalomaniac. And they began compiling a a dossier on him. Okay, right. So, I believe it was in the late 1950s that he left America totally and relocated to England. And there he started billing himself as this um, old, like a country doctor, I guess, who was, you know, charming all the the local populace. And it didn't take long before he began running afoul of MI5 and British authorities there. So, he hit the idea we're going to go to international water right and that's where you begin seeing like a big shift in the church i guess at that point right. and there's there's three real groups that emerged from this because the most hardcore of his followers went with him and joined him right. and they became the the clergy of scientology right. does that make sense yes so absolutely. The three groups that formed at this time was um, that you need to familiarize yourself with the terms is, um, well, the big boat that he bought was a cargo ship that had been used back in World War II that was called the Royal Scotsman, and he renamed it to the Apollo. Okay. So the three groups that that formed uh, from the Apollo is the first one was the Guardian's office, which was led by his wife, uh, Mary Sue Hubbard. Mm Now, Mary Sue Hubbard was his third wife, and she was the one he stayed married to from the beginning of the church. Okay. Um, his other wives were ones that he was married to when he was a Pulp Fiction writer, gotcha. and so on, that he really didn't have contact with anymore, Right. and he had uh, three children from his past two marriages, but this was his first one that was his real, like, where his public persona began, I guess. Gotcha. So... She wasn't somebody who was a very front and center character. She so, but she almost ran the church from behind the scenes. Right. And what the guardian's office was was it, it'd be helpful to think of it as like the intelligence wing of the church, as far as okay. like deal, as far as gathering information, uh, dealing with critics, dealing with government bodies that they thought were going to harass them or give them a hard time. Right. And it came in really useful and began really um, crystallizing at this time because they the apollo began having a lot of problems with when they would try to dock in foreign countries they would get denied right access so this became about gathering intel about the heads of different countries finding out which ones had orders against the apollo docking there I and you. you know at first it was just going to be like you know talk to them deal with them things like that right. but it grew and grew and grew into what it became and hubbard developed this idea that there was a grand like globalist body that was out to get him
1: kind of a conspiracy
3: yeah right right so the guardian's office uh the commodore's messenger org was the second of the groups that followed these were hubbard liked to surround himself with uh teenagers like um primarily young girls right but okay (laughs) but there, there were boys who were also a part of it There's no indication that this was like a real like sexual thing Uh, or anything like that. This was just these kids all gravitated around Hubbard and they enjoyed the power kick they got from being his messengers. And I'm sure
1: he enjoyed having those people following him like that as well. Yeah, a
3: mutual because these kids became more powerful than their parents. Right, Right. and they were acting on Hubbard's direct authority. They really enjoyed it, and so. This was another camp that really formed at this moment. And the third is the Sea Org, or the Sea Organization, which is, like I said, the, the clergy of okay. Scientology. It's the most hardcore of the followers. Right. Um. So, around the time of um, Operation Snow White, which was, do you know the story behind that? No,
1: no, I'm not familiar.
3: okay. I'm trying to think where to where to go back, and start with this. There were a number of operations that that happened uh, by order of the Guardian's office back in the 1970s okay. that laid the foundwork laid the foundational groundwork for a lot of the the shit that happened. One of them was called Operation. Freak Out and another one called Operation Dynamite, okay. which was there was a woman named Paulette Cooper who was a journalist in New York who had written a book called The Scandal of Scientology. And if you go back and read it now, it's really, really mild by today's standards. It, like in a lot of places, it almost seems like she bends over backwards to say nice things about Hubbard. Oh, yeah, right. Because she right. didn't want to seem too bad, but he fucking hit the roof right. over it. So he developed this plan of how to deal with her. And there's a lot of um, skepticism over exactly what it entailed, but the general consensus it was designed to have her either put in prison or committed to a mental institution right. to discredit her. Right. So, um, Operation Freakout was the plan of having um, someone do st- do a stakeout, find out what her favorite neighborhood bar was in New York, right. and send a Scientology agent to go and start a relationship with her, move in with her and be her, you know, pretend live in boyfriend. But what he was going to be daily doing was gathering Intel about everything she did. And yeah, that happened for several years actually a fucking spy. Yeah, the guy the guy she thought was like her live-in boyfriend was a Scientology agent. Jesus. Well, so there was that and then the other one the what that bled into was Operation Dynamite where they his goal that was handed down from Somebody from the Guardian's office, anyway, was to get her fingerprints on a piece of paper that they would then use to write a letter, which would be a bomb threat to an Arab embassy. Holy shit! Wow. Yeah. Okay.
1: I mean, so they were set up to frame this woman right. for a bomb threat.
3: Yeah. And, gee. So... Well, I... Damn. Okay. That That's just sort of like um, one of the ones that happened at the time. I mean, if you go ever, ever look on Wikipedia at... Scandals that happen, uh, different operations done by the Guardian's office—it's pretty mind blowing, like how big the list Don't is. Sh- Damn, yeah. But what Operation Snow White was was it was probably the biggest one, and it was when the church, when a uh, number of church members infiltrated uh, different government agencies for the purpose of gathering intel on, you know. Who had negative internal memos about Scientology, uh, negative memos about L. Ron Hubbard, and basically finding out who these people were and how to deal with them.
1: So, what you're telling me, Reverend, is that Scientology basically infiltrated the government.
3: Not only that, but it's, to this day, the single largest infiltration of the U.S. government in history.
1: Jesus Christ. I mean, you're talking about foreign (laughs) nations, I mean, hostile nations. Yeah. Yeah. Everything did not even...
3: It didn't even... Like, the stuff with Russia, Everything. it doesn't yeah. even scratch the surface.
1: Of what Scientology, I had no idea. No, I,
3: obviously, I knew it was a
1: huge organization. I knew, you know... No, they, they had, had
3: people infiltrate the highest levels of the IRS, the AMA, the APA, uh, FBI... Um, number of foreign embassies. I mean, I think all in all there was around three or four dozen different government agencies Jesus. that they infiltrated.
1: Like I said, I knew that they had a lot of tentacles and I knew they were in a lot of places. I didn't know it was like that. I didn't know it was to that degree. Like I said, I'm not that well, familiar. We'll, we'll
3: talk about yeah. that more in a second. Yeah, yeah, how? Yeah. But see, the way the church was under Hubbard And the way the church is now they're two completely different animals like when hubbard was alive the church had teeth to it right but now i mean it's kind of a joke yeah i was going to say man it's not given the same
1: kind of i guess
3: like back in the day like scientology was just something like you didn't fuck with right right right
1: untouchable yeah now it's it's a joke it's a punchline
3: yeah yeah, so, basically. But like I said, I didn't know it was
1: to that degree to where they literally infiltrated the United States government. That That's scary. Yeah,
3: so Operation Snow White was basically that. It was the government infiltration, and it ended up getting uh, busted one way or another. I th- If I remember this right, it all stemmed from uh, a raid that was conducted on a couple different uh, churches. I believe one in Seattle and one in Washington, D.C., that stemmed from them advertising the e-meter as a legitimate medical de- device that could, where auditing could be used to cure cancer and like a number of different illnesses. Right. So they began compiling a big, um, a big file on Scientology because of that. And some from, from one way or another, it, it rolled from that into discovering or breaking up operation snow white. Okay. Right. And now at this time, because of the blowback from it, Hubbard disappeared and went off the map. And uh, Mary Sue was the one who took the fall for it. The okay. The name of the court case was the United States of America versus Mary Sue Hubbard plus uh, defendants, or et al., I guess. <laughs> okay. And there was um, a couple dozen guardian's office people that all did time in prison okay. over it. So at this time, you began seeing the power struggle emerging between the Guardian's Office, the Sea Org, and the Commodore's Messenger Org.
1: But no Reverend now, but but Hubbard is still alive, though, correct?
3: Hubbard is alive, but he's in hiding.
1: He's, okay, I got
3: you. And okay. what this was culminating with was, at this time, he was also degenerating into old age and mental illness. Right. And the way they've always described it is he be- was beginning to look like Howard Hughes right. was during his final years, right, where he was right. just like a recluse and a shut-in. Yeah. And, you know, uh, did... <laughs> Basically, what you imagine, right? Exactly. Just getting
2: old, poor health, um, and he poor was, hygiene. Yeah, right. Yeah. And he right. was somebody
3: they had to keep hidden from the public because of everything that he had built, built his yeah. his
1: work is working towards. Exactly, because somebody saw him in that state, it may take away from Scientology as a whole. Bingo. Right. right.
3: Yeah. So. The guardian's office like i said was essentially led by mary sue hubbard and the commodore's messenger org there were a number of these people who had been teenagers on the apollo Mm -hmm. that were now young adults who who were for all practical purposes they were running the sea org gotcha and they were running the church the in the aftermath of or i guess really during the time where hubbard is completely off the map and right at the time he dies the Mary Sue Hubbard has essentially been, like, pushed to the side by the Commodore's Messenger Org, and the Guardian's Office has been purged. Okay. Um, right. So this leaves these guys as being, who's going to take charge of right. the church? And there were about 10 who, who were really significant figures at this time, but the three who were the most important was there was a man and woman named Patton Annie Broker who had been in the Sea Org, and they were the ones who Hubbard lived with and cared for him during his final years. Mm-hmm. They owned a ranch that he lived at. And the third was a guy named uh, David Miscavige, who um, had been essentially Hubbard's liaison to the church, who would ride back and forth from uh, the ranch to deliver messages <gasps> to everybody. Right. So these were the three people who were... was, I guess, really who the power struggle was between right. with with uh, the brokers on one side and David Miscavige on the other. Right. And the way the brokers... Okay, in... There, there's a YouTube video you can watch where it's um, Hubbard's death announcement where they gather everybody and they tell him that Hubbard has dropped his body and that he's ascended to uh, a higher level of existence to study and further his research. All right, 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 right. <clears throat> So during this speech, his will is read where it said that... Uh, in his will, uh, Pat and Annie Broker had been promoted to Loyal Officer One and Loyal Officer Two. So everybody who was present said, Okay, this means that they're gonna be the ones running the church now. Right. Every even though like nobody really knew who they were. Yeah, right. They had just been like big figures behind the scenes. So they had um I guess you would say their big uh their big hidden hand that they had was they claimed to have Hubbard's final writings. Okay. They claimed that they were in possession of the operating thetan levels that went all the way up to 15 right. and that I guess they were holding that over everybody's head. Right. Well, there came a, a point in time where it became really cutthroat between them and David Miscavige. And he had, he had essentially been running the church for all practical purposes ever since Mary, Hub- Mary Sue Hubbard went to prison. And Hubbard and the Brokers were behind the scenes, he was essentially the de facto leader. Gotcha. Like I said, just because he was the most senior Scientologist. Right. I guess. So, he had uh, made a call one day when Pat Broker was in D.C. having a meeting with some some government agency. And he goes, um, we've got a report that the FBI is doing a raid um, on the ranch. Right. Uh, you need to tell us where the writings are at. Right now, otherwise we're gonna lose them. Right. So it was essentially like his last hand he had, and he goes, "Okay, um, they're in this file cabinet," right. and they got him. And then from that point in time, the brokers were essentially like purge from see. the church. I got you. So, so let me
1: ask you, Reverend, are those papers? Is that where we get the? I guess the story of Zenu.
3: No, that's oh, okay. actually an operating Thetan level three. Oh, okay, okay. But op- but level three is what they call the Wall of Fire teaching, where. There's there's this whole mythology around it that they say that if a person reads it before they're ready, before they've worked their way up to it, that they're going to develop fatal pneumonia and essentially their soul just goes away but their body keeps going. Okay, okay. Then they become like a, a non like zombie
1: or a non playable character. Now now another way
3: of saying that might be now another way of saying that might be if you read it before you've paid like there large sums go. of money there <laughs> you go
1: yeah. talk about leveling up right? yeah in-game purchases here yeah know.
3: then you're gonna say what am i doing
1: <laughs> but you know uh reverend i mean i don't want to get too far off track but i do want to circle around to the zenu story at some point
3: because yeah. that's what really we'll get
1: there absolutely because that's what brought me into even hearing about scientology really hearing about it because i'd always heard about it you know in passing, I just—I had no idea what it was. I wasn't, you know, into church. I wasn't really into science at the time, yeah. so why bother? But then, you know, obviously the Xenu thing came up on South Park, and that was when I got interested. I was like,
0: okay.
3: The way I guess you I'll know. like wrap up this topic is to say that around the time, uh, which was 1987 uh, or 1988, when Miscavige took full control of the church, we essentially come to a status quo till the present. I mean, there's been a lot of, like, really minor things that have happened since then. Like, in the early 90s, they acquired tax-exempt status. Oh, yes. And right. Right. there's been a couple of scandals related to celebrities like leaving Tom, the church. Tom yeah, Cruise. That stuff. type of thing. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. probably the most relevant has been Leah Remini. Right, right. And there's been a lot of former, like, high-level executives that have left and, you know, claimed, like, David Miscavige beat them up and things oh, like Jesus. that. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> beat the feet out of
3: them yeah, that, uh, <laughs> that that have come out and claimed that, and you know that uh, makes for real like interesting like tabloidy type shit, I guess. Right. But and probably the the two most relevant was there was a guy named uh, David Mayo back in the uh, mid 1980s who was Hubbard's mm-hmm. auditor who started the free zone movement where basically like it's similar to how it is now where people can. Uh, look up the OT levels on WikiLeaks and you can read it for yourself and Mm -hmm. do Scientology without paying the church right and the other one was a guy named uh, Marty Rathbun who was the former number two guy under David Miscavige who handled like external affairs for probably about 20 years or so those have been probably the two most like relevant ones I guess but really after Hubbard's death I mean it's kind of status quo beyond that it's like it's not really dynamic it's a lot of like tabloidy shit right
2: right well, it's yeah. like, you know, we were well, saying think- earlier, you know, the church kind of lost its teeth, I guess you could yeah. say, around that time. Right. I think, you know, it always amazed me with, like, you know, you mentioned had mentioned South Park um, with Isaac Hayes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Um, and everything that was going on, because Isaac Hayes was a member. yes and south park was you know not kind to sign no, oh no um in fact i'm trying to remember they the weren't th- wrong no no right. and i'm <laughs> trying
1: to remember the timeline man because didn't something happen with isaac case first and then they did the xeno episode or did they do the xeno episode and then isaac Hayes left? left i can't he left after yes. I, okay he i said
2: please re- don't do this please don't okay. involve me in. Or the church. Anything that's, that's detrimental to, to the religion. Well, Trey Parker and Matt yeah. Stone, from
3: what I remember, replied, and they said, you know, you didn't have a problem doing this when it was Christianity. Or, or, or any other, the religion we've, we've done, but mm-hmm. now when it's yours... Yeah. Now, out, yeah, like, that's kind of hypocritical. Yeah.
1: And not only that, because you know we know how South Park has always has always right. been, man, very non politically correct. I mean, they went after mm-hmm. everybody. They go right. after Christians. They go after Muslims.
2: They went after Scientologists. Everybody, everybody, you know. Which and the is why fact I've that he, he felt so strongly about this that he left the show, yeah, that basically reinvented it, it brought and, him back into the spotlight. Absolutely, you know, because. He kind of had, you know, gotten
1: a little stale. You mm-hmm. know, obviously he was an artist from the '70s and everything, and he kind of died out. And yeah. then
3: Read South him Park a well, pop, it brought him it back. pop
2: character. Yeah. yeah. See, it
3: makes sense when you understand one of the things about Scientology is that there's several different experiences a person can have in it. There's, well, there's three, I guess. There's a public Scientologist. There's clergy right. or Sea Org, and there's celebrity. Right now the experience that a public person has in Scientology might be like, if you or I bought a copy of Dianetics, went down, like took a a class or two or something, then just lost interest and left. Right. right. Okay. It's, you know, the horror stories you hear, like aren't from public Scientologists. Right. I mean, except for ones who like, you know, were just stupid and spend astronomical sums of money on them or something. Exactly. But so public Scientologists are going to have one experience. Um, Clergy are going to have a very different experience, right. where they're the ones who you know uh, talk about like having to escape and jump fences and shit like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, right, right, yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> i just had Sorry. this image of people jumping the scientology I mean, fence you know? but mean,
1: seriously though yeah, yeah I mean, it's like they're
3: escaping prison <laughs> yeah. for real
2: man yeah shawshank that shit man dig up under that's the thing
3: the feet redemption yeah yeah that's the thing that it.
2: always <laughs> rema- amazes me is going back to hayes and and, and looking at tom cruise yeah and, and um oh my god um leah would, no not leah um John Travolta oh that's yeah. right that's right he, he was how, yeah. how just you know if, if you even make mention of this how they clam up and how incest they become about this yeah. you, I'll tell you, you why and it's yeah.
3: because of that third category I was going to say you know I said you have public you have clergy mm-hmm. but the experience celebrities have with Scientology is it's always filled a dual role of not just a religion it's a protection racket for actors right so go into that, Reverend. Okay, it's oh boy, I don't even know how to
0: start with
1: it. It's it, is it due to like some of the
3: legal like because um, I, I know Scientologists. It's a it's a it's, power behind the scenes, right? It's a it's a hidden hand. It's like it's a lobbying for people who are. You know solo getting who could get lost within the studio system right it's it's a union almost
1: and i think when you said lobby that that sounds pretty much right on point
3: it almost feels it almost yeah it almost feels like a like an old school mob role right where and there was a reason why You know, Hollywood writers for years and years would not talk about Scientology or write about it. It's because if you did, they would fuck you up. They would come after you. Like, if you wrote articles saying, hey, John Travolta's queer, or, you know, Tom Cruise uses this church to shop for girlfriends or some shit like that, they would fuck you up. They would. Right. They would rain hellfire down upon you.
1: Cause I, I think you actually put up a meme, Reverend, if I'm not mistaken, and it was just listing different religions and different things. And it may have not been you. I can't remember right off. I saw it briefly. But the, the, one about Scientology said we have lawyers or we'll, we'll sue you or it was something of that nature. Basically, well, it, it,
3: it came from the whole thing over the Sri Lanka uh, bombings. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Where yeah. the way, um, the way uh, Barack Obama. Uh, replied to it on Twitter was he said uh, you know thoughts and prayers with the Easter, Easter worshippers yeah and all these that. people on the you know alt right blogosphere were going why didn't you just say Christians right. or use some kind of uh, use some cr- kind of you know like a secret Muslim yeah or something. yeah yeah and w- which is uh, man I won't even go into that I don't <laughs> guess that'll okay. be for another show yeah. <laughs> okay the, the short story <laughs> to that is because in Sri Lanka on Easter it's also a pagan holiday
0: right, so right. all
3: different groups are out there on Easter right. but anyway um there's this list that says the the new politically correct names for different religions and for christians it says easter Easter, worshipers for buddhists it says nirvana fans. that's right for wiccan it (laughs) says a hot topic shopper uh for atheists it says teenager and so on and so on and then the last one it says scientologist and then it just says uh comment redacted by our lawyers that was
1: it that was it So, so bottom line, man, Scientology has always been lawyered up,
3: as they say. Fuck yes. I, mean, I mean, I'm yeah. talking hardcore lawyered up. Yeah. Do you know the story of, um, of Charles Manson's experience with Scientology? No. No. Very little. S- little. I sent no. you a YouTube video about it. Um, watch that when you get a minute. Yep. So <clears throat> the story goes that when Manson was in prison the first time, um, all the way up to 1967 when he got released, that there were two books that he read uh, in lockup that had a real profound effect on him. The first one was How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, and the other was Dianetics. Wow! And it's <laughs> a hell of a combination. <laughs> yeah. And the story goes that he and his uh, he and his cellmate, you know, messed around with Dianetics. They uh, cleared each other, and everything. And the first thing he did when he was released in 1967 is he walks into a, a Scientology building and he goes, so I've, I've reached clear uh, what comes next. I'm interested. And I, I don't know how true this is or if this is just something that's become popular lore, but they begin talking to him and walking him through the process. And he left after like 20 minutes and he said, this shit's too weird for me. <laughs> Fuck. Manson. <laughs> yeah. Wow.
1: The, the the helter skelter man himself said this <laughs> right. shit was too weird, yeah. so you know you take that as you want. Yeah.
3: But see, that's interesting because it formulated like a lot of dianetics anyway, rather than Scientology formulated a lot of what came with the Manson family, though, because there's stories where if you listen to uh, to Squeaky Frome or uh, a lot of these women who describe their first night with Manson when they first you know were intimate and everything, they say that it followed a long you know uh, conversation. Where he would ask them about their their childhood their past Oh, really and yeah it, like what he was doing was he was auditing right know? and they yeah, said yeah, yeah. they and they said that by the time they had sex it was like the most ultimate release that they never felt more connected to a person mm-hmm.
1: now let me ask you reverend were these people on lsd at the time because i know charles manson used lsd a lot for you know i guess his <laughs> conditioning right
3: well uh, a lot of this stuff that like i said where his one on one with a person where they would say it was like he was staring into my soul, yeah, right. it came from things he'd learned from Dianetics. Right, right. right? right. Yeah. So
1: basically he's taking all these different aspects like Dianetics, you know, and how, Carnegie and everything. Car- yeah, 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 and then putting the, the psychedelics on top of that, you know, man, yeah, I mean you could definitely and if you already a charisma you know, have charisma like he did, obviously Well there's actually know. a
3: story that goes that one of Manson's uh, top lieutenants was a guy named Bruce Davis and he actually sent him over to England to Saint Hill Manor to try to enroll in some courses and but his real reason was Manson wanted to keep tabs on Hubbard and find out what he was up to. Oh no shit. Man. Yeah. So there was that
1: connection there. That's you know, just in this podcast alone, Reverend, you know, I've learned that Manson I mean, excuse me, that Hubbard had a connection to both Manson and to Crowley. That, that both right. of those blow my yeah. mind man <clears throat> right
3: that, that, that's yeah that's, well that's a lot of like you know you want to come back around to the Xenu story <laughs> yes and uh, <laughs> tell me your version of the events for what well, you know of it
1: you know uh once again just going back you know my first exposure to this story was was the South Park little cartoon that they did they had like little right. you know animated well obviously South Park is animated but they had like a little skit within that basically just that Zeno was, was a evil overlord on another planet Centuries and centuries ago, a, you know, a long time ago in away, yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically, he would take prisoners. And like I said, man, I'm probably getting this screwed up somewhere down the line, but he would take prisoners and he flew them to Earth in jets, mm-hmm. apparently that looked like jets that we see today, mm-hmm. dropped them into a volcano. The volcano erupted, and then these the souls of these prisoners were released, and that became. Like our negative emotions, like depression, anxiety, all these different negative emotions, and then these thetans or whatever. Would you like me to explain the story in a way that makes sense?
2: Absolutely. uh, See, (laughs) at the the bottom, (laughs) at the bottom of the screen on on this, (laughs) while they're showing this animated, at the bottom of the screen, it states. They actually believe yeah. this yeah it yeah.
1: said so this is what scientology actually yes. believe yeah yeah so yeah. please reverend yes let's hear this story from a a, a good viewpoint not not from me bro. the
3: long and short <laughs> that i can explain this to you is that the story is metaphorical okay <clears throat> but it is like a cornerstone of of scientology lore right i guess um <laughs> So, Reverend, let me have to do, do Scientology or to the people that
1: practice Scientology, do they, do they believe the Xenu story to be legit?
3: The easiest way I can explain it to you is there, there aren't clear instructions given, but a lot okay. of them do take it literally. Okay. okay. <clears throat> um, when a person attains operating feet in level three, they're taken into a room okay. where somebody comes in with a briefcase that's handcuffed to them. Right. And the... Briefcase just contains the sheet of paper of Operating Thetan Level 3 and they just say read it, take whatever from it. Right. Like, it's whatever it means to you. Now, there's a lot of people that walk away believing this is this literal crazy right. story that, you know, a lot of celebrities who left like, you know, said, I read this and was like, you know, what the fuck? <laughs> right, right. But, on the other hand, there's a lot of people that knew Hubbard personally and knew his personality That read it, and this is even like people who have left, who, there was like an old woman who said she read it, and she like started crying. She goes, it was like he was like right here in the room with me, because I remember how, what his personality was like. And she goes, what he was doing is he was using his old career as a sci-fi writer to tell a parable. Okay. And the Zenu story is sort of a combination of a lot of different things. It's a combination of Gnosticism, it's a, a little bit of Freud, right. it's a little bit of Crowley, it's a little bit of Darwin. Um, it's all kinds of different shit, like all sort of wrapped into one. Right. And now I'm I'm going off this by people who say that the story's metaphorical right. because I remember when I first read it, I said, This is this isn't literal. Right. Like right. If, if you if you're somebody who can discern writing in any way at all, you know that it's not a literal story. Right. Like now I know that there's probably a lot of people who are, you know, dumb
2: enough to maybe think that I guess. Right. But Well I'll put this out there as devil devil's advocate. How far is it off from any other Christian uh religion? or any religion for that matter yeah. it's you not know.
3: that far off you just have to understand what he's saying and yeah. what what it means exactly right. like, But
2: there are people that will take you know at, oh at face value man at yeah face oh, value. absolutely yeah. yeah oh absolutely
1: yeah i mean i thought that it really oh, it was, was what, what people science. thought you know yep. what I'm saying obviously i knew zenu wasn't real but i thought that these people
2: if somebody's coming in believe and they me. hear the story you know the bible and every and they're like I'm, uh, a lot of fantastic. Uh, stories. Well, I'll, so, I'll sort great. of like I'll, I'll sort great. of break down the symbols <laughs> yeah. in the
3: story and like explain what they what the meaning to them is. Is you know, Zenu comes from the Latin word Zeno, which means other. Okay, basically, oh, like okay. it's it's a version he's telling of the Gnostic tale of the demiurge. Like the demiurge is the idea that there was a lesser god or Satan that created the world. Okay, and that the earth is the domain of hell. Essentially. Okay, okay. so. Zeno or Xenu um traps these souls in uh airplanes right. which crash into a volcano right. like you don't have to be like a freudian guy to know that that's a sexual metaphor okay the the yeah I see. Yep. You know, yep. I'll, I'll just yep. throw yep. that out there, yep. like yep. airplanes, volcanoes, volcanoes, and then it says he blows them up with a hydrogen explosion. Okay, water explosion.
2: Explosion. Yep. Okay. Like, now we're getting into my territory.
3: Let's let you know we can talk like <laughs> sex agencies, metaphors. Like, yeah. So the planes of penis, <laughs> basically the souls these souls are crashed onto Earth to which they're born by sexual means. Right. Yes, but right. it says these souls try to escape but they hit a force field right. which is... Um, how does the story go? Okay, it goes they're trapped in the volcano and they're shown images that are arranged by uh, psychologists and uh, religious heads right. that brainwash people. What the story... Like, I mean, if we cut behind the jargon, what the story is essentially saying is that you know, we don't know the true origin of life on Earth, right. but it's something—it's something other, I okay. guess. <clears> okay. <throat> okay. But yeah. souls are put here and incarnated through sexual means, and from the time that they're conceived, the world around them works to brainwash them, and it's largely through psychology and religion. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this it, when you understand the crystallization of like Hubbard's worldview and how he thought. And the way in all of his other speeches, how he would tell parables just like this, just and like Jesus did. J- yeah, because uh, I mean, I mean really, Hubbard, yeah, above yeah. all else, was a storyteller who worked right. in the field of sci-fi. Right. Mm-hmm. This was his version of telling a parable yeah. about this. Yeah, and that makes complete sense. So yeah. all these souls are, you know, brainwashed from conception by these forces that work to to undermine and trap us. Right. But he believed that. You know, there, there was essentially like a force field that kept people from climbing higher and higher and escaping their condition. That we were essentially like stuck here. Right. So, but what he said though was that through this, these applied philosophical maxims that he was putting out in the school of thought, uh, Dianetics, and then Scientology, a person can overcome their condition
1: and get past as this, an animal and get past his force field.
3: Right. And, and right, learn, right. and learn their true origins. Right. See, I
1: I've never heard. That spin put on the Xenu story that that makes so much sense. I mean that yeah, because I mean I really did think that Scientologists believed 100% the xeno was real.
3: Well, a lot that, of them it, do. Right, exactly. Because but, there aren't clear instructions with the story, but right, I I kind of right. believe that there didn't need to be.
1: There you go, right. And, and given Hubbard's you know history, just like you just said, it, it makes sense. And and, and kind of seen it as more of a metaphor parable. Yeah, it, it's it it's a it's
3: a creation story parable in, in the way Hubbard would have told it. There you go. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, man, I've yeah. learned a
1: lot on today's podcast. I, I yeah. really have about L. Ron Hubbard. Well, a lot you of know, this stuff I had no idea. And
3: you know, South Park was really where we saw a lot of the shift change between people being afraid and not afraid to write about Scientology. Because, right. yeah. like
1: I said, to me, you know, South that South Park episode brought it to my attention because obviously I knew I didn't know Dianetics and Scientology were connected. Until I, the Xenu show, and then you know you kind of start looking into it, and that's well, when was I was getting more online time. too.
2: Was it was it that one, or, or was it the the Tom Tom Cruise episode? Which one could they not show for the longest time?
1: It was this. I think that I was think the same. That w- they were the same. That, episode. that was the same episode. The closet. R Kelly closet? was in the closet. Yeah, it was yeah. all the same episode. Was yeah. it the same episode? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. It was. It's because
3: the I episode, the episode goes. The episode goes that um, Stan doesn't have any money. Right. to go to a movie or some shit like that so he goes into a Scientology That's right, yeah. org and they hook him up to an e-meter and find that his levels are so high he must be L. Ron Hubbard's reincarnation guy okay. yep, yep. and so <clears throat> Tom Cruise and all these celebrities come to him and you know they're going oh what do you think of my work and, Yeah, and yeah. uh he tells tom cruise he's like he goes i mean you're okay but you're not as cool as like john elway right. and really? that devastates him
1: and then r kelly shows up closet. and yeah and he hides
3: in the closet, closet. yeah
1: <laughs> come out of the closet
2: Come out closet. yeah and then tom
1: cruise goes in there yeah, yeah man but that
2: that was now i'm in the closet yes.
1: <laughs> great episode man but I mean.
2: for the longest time it was not going to be showed because comedy central viacom were afraid to get yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, they they did uh, threaten them with legal action, yep. if I'm not mistaken. They yep. did have that out there. So, yeah, Mike, yeah.
2: here's one
3: we've got to hit on. Um, what do you know about the Process Church of the Final Judgment? Okay.
2: <laughs> oh my God. Are we? Oh, are, are we? Oh my God. There's no way we can get into that today. That let's, is way too. Let's briefly. Uh, yeah, uh, I uh, going to say uh, yeah. touch on it right quick if, if you want to, but <laughs> because it was a is, it was an offshoot is, of Scientology. Yeah, and it is deep. It well, goes very, very deep. Well, let
1: me ask you guys this: Would you like to do a show on that? I was going to say we could we could hit on it. Yeah, we're going we to definitely have to hit do one on on that. It.
2: But
3: yeah, maybe
1: I'll tell we you have what: to. Let's
3: do. Let's yeah. let's spend the next like the final like maybe five uh, five to ten minutes of the show. Like let's briefly yeah. go into
2: it. All yeah. right, go ahead. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, yeah.
1: man, yeah, because we're probably pushing toward
2: toward the end, and I know. Um, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I'll right, touch on it right quick because I'm not even prepared for that <laughs> right now. Okay,
3: well, the Process Church of the Final Judgment was an offshoot of Scientology that began with a man and woman named the de Grimston family okay. who had been British uh, disciples of Hubbard back in the early days of Dianetics. And they essentially developed their own theology, which was based on... On it, but it became it went a whole different direction. Yeah. Even though it, it was the basis for it, like the idea of four personality archetypes, right? Um, they developed into you know the uh, the, the four gods: um, Jehovah, Christ, Lucifer, and Satan. Okay, I have heard of this actually. You have that 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 rings a bell. Obviously,
1: not enough to really know anything, but that does ring a bell.
2: Yes. If you're looking at it as almost a metaphor, if you're looking at Scientology as the Beatles,
3: okay.
2: Process is Black Sabbath. Okay.
3: All right. Okay. That's a great wow. Okay.
1: That that makes sense. Okay. All right. So they're heavy as shit, compared. Yeah. Okay, all right.
2: Yeah, this this is, this is going down a dark, dark road. Right, a, a okay. really dark one. Okay. <coughs> yes. Well, because I mean, you know, of course Scientology had its dark moments. Sure. Of course, you nowhere know, near as dark as the process. No, right. not at all. Of course, yeah. you know, like with the Beatles, you know, they did their stuff. They oh, had yeah, some dark yeah, sure, stuff sure. too, yeah, but yeah. it was nowhere like Sabbath no. Right. No. Got you
3: there's a really interesting connection if you want to go down a rabbit hole I want you to go back and look at there was an explosion period of serial killers in American culture from the late 1960s right. probably starting with, with Manson although maybe arguably with uh, the uh, Texas Tower shooter right. with uh, Charles Whitman right. going all the way up to uh, to Dahmer in the right. early 90s right. You know, we we all three of us know there there was a period where serial killers were
1: huge. Yeah, they really were, and you don't see it like you used to. You really don't. And you had like Ted Bundy, obviously Gein, uh, G- Gracie. Gacy. Yeah,
3: Gacy. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, uh, Luca, Lucas, Lucas, Ramirez, Zodiac, all these guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And when you began examining the backstories of a lot of these people. I believe every single one of them, if you want to play the six degrees of Kevin Bacon right, game, right. was never more than two degrees away from the Process Church of the Final Judgment. No shit. Yeah.
1: That was... I did not know that. Yeah. That's... Mind-blowing. Blow, mind
3: yeah. yeah it, like, literally every single last one Jesus, of them. Man.
1: Well, guys, I tell you what. On that note... Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a whole... I That's I I, I can't yeah. even yeah, yeah yeah I can't even really go show. into another facet of it because no. this is too much yeah
1: I would definitely want I want to re I want to revisit uh, this subject yeah. because I, I my my interest is peaked but yeah we, we do have to start wrapping it up I know Mike you have to go to work and <sighs> <you know. laughs> sorry sorry yeah. to ruin your day there brother <laughs> you know but um, I definitely want to revisit this and I would like mm-hmm. to have a show on this because this is really interesting yeah to me. yeah and uh, I think what we just ended with is a good place to go ahead and maybe put put the brakes on for now. But before we do wrap it up, I'd like to ask both of you guys, is there any final thoughts that you'd like to put out there for Scientology for today's show?
2: Wow. Um, I would say, I mean, if, if you learn anything... Uh, uh, yeah, you know, look into it. Judge for, judge for yourself. Yeah, don't take everything at, at, at absolute face value and everything that you've heard. Right. Because uh, honestly, it's it's really no different from any other religion. Uh It's just more uh
1: Americanized,
2: maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I would say it, it's just something that's been done within the past hundred years.
1: Yeah, it's definitely. Controversial, yeah. It's definitely, um you know, I disagree a little bit with that agency. I don't know if it's. Have you ever just heard the like,
3: Have you ever heard the def, uh the definition of the difference between a cult and a religion? No. That's, that's. <clears throat> that ninety something like ninety nine percent. This is like an actual statistic that something like ninety nine percent of all cults don't survive the death of their leader. Right. So if the leader is alive, it's a cult. If, they're if they're they dead, survive, <laughs> they're religion. They're religion.
1: Right. That makes sense. That really does.
3: Yeah. Well, Ben, brother, Reverend, is there anything you like to end us with? Question. Yes. You know, with a lot of the the tabloidy shit, like we've talked about, and how there's an all time peak in uh, public interest in Scientology, like mainly among like you know the housewife demographic. Really, right. Right. Shit, um, do you think we're going to see like the death nail of Scientology in our lifetime? I think so. I do
1: i don't you don't think so i I think we will in our lifetime within the next
3: i don't think we're going to see the death of scientology i think we're going to we might see the death of it in its current form i was going
1: to say you may see a resurgence of it you know a renaissance or something but i I think what we see today because like we were talking about earlier you know it's almost a punchline now
3: well the reality to it is i don't think scientology is a religion that was built to survive the internet amen Amen. That yeah. secret yeah. information like that, when you have open lines of communication, it it doesn't survive it well. No,
1: right. It's bound It's bound to fail. But right. the
3: thing, the most interesting statistic I read several years ago, I guess this was back in 2012, 2013, was there had the big new group among Scientology had been, you know, hipsters and, like, young people. Right. And they say the reason why it was it was kind of mind-blowing is that you had people who had read this shit like on WikiLeaks mm-hmm. and knew the entire backstory of the religion, like right. you know the Xenu story, like everything they usually try to conceal. You're right, right, right. And you had these kids in uh, Brooklyn and all these places who were walking in to churches going, hey, I like this stuff, tell me more about it. And the church people were freezing up. They like they don't know what to do. How to handle that. They're not prepared for right. it. right and they just have to go uh yeah uh (laughs) you've read the xeno store and you still want to come here but no. like there are there are people there are people who are like into it so that's why i think we may very well see the death of the church in its current form but i don't think the theology to it's going to go anywhere do you
1: could you guys actually and i know we're all wrestling fans
3: in this room could you maybe even equate that
1: to kayfabe in a way of kayfabe died because after Fabe died, all the purists of professional wrestling will will never have wrestling again. Right. Jesus Christ, man, that was that was shit all over because it's, yeah. it was bigger than ever. Right. After after yeah. kayfabe was quote unquote, and if anybody out there is listening, not know what I mean by Fabe, that's when professional wrestling was perceived to be a legit competition, a legit mm-hmm. sport. And then once you know it was brought out to the masses that it was no longer a legit competition, right? The purists, like myself, even remember thinking well. Pro wrestling's going to die now, and it had the greatest resurgence that it ever had after that. Right. I wonder if Scientology could fall into that same thing. Right. Now, now we know a lot of the secrets are out. You know, people know maybe it's a work, quote unquote. Okay.
2: Well, and that had and, been, and, and its a fun thing. This it's, looks like a fun, right? Fun thing to and be that I think in. right
3: had been the bulk of a lot of its criticism was yeah. that you know a lot of these people who left the church who, you know, spent like $500,000 on it said, we were required to pay all this money yeah. and didn't know what was at the top. Right. We didn't yeah. know what we were getting. Yeah. Right, We were just sort of getting drug along. But the difference is now you have all these people saying, like, I know it. I yeah. know what's what it's about. I want to get involved with it. Right, Which is exactly like pro wrestling
1: now back in the day you had to spend money you had to pay dues rather you may or may not be brought into the circle after you spent this money after you got your ass kicked for fucking weeks months or years Mm -hmm. now you can just go on YouTube and see how to bump and start your own fucking
2: wrestling federation I've been you know I've been (laughs) I've been training for you know past year for with YouTube videos I'm ready to I'm ready to get in there yeah Yeah.
1: and 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 goddamn they do yeah
2: and there you go yeah
1: well guys I've enjoyed this Reverend, yeah. as always, Thanks. thank you for coming down. Thank you for doing this show. This was yeah. fun.
3: This was your theology lesson. Yes, there
1: you go. <laughs> I did. I, I will say, we, we do another uh, podcast called The Podcast <laughs> with Jason and Mike. We don't know who those guys are, uh-huh. but we're, we're yeah. sort of yeah. affiliated with them. Yeah. Um, I never really learn anything. got their own religion. <laughs> yeah, you know, brother, howdy, boy, howdy, do they? Or lack of. Yeah. I don't learn anything on the podcast. Well, sometimes we have Wayne Sisk on, yeah. and yeah. I learn some music knowledge, but... For the most part, I don't learn shit. Actually, I think I come out dumber usually <laughs> wow. after after we do a podcast.
2: Potentially, yeah.
1: Potentially, <laughs> yeah. it's it's possible.
2: Yeah. Uh, with the good news or about penises.
1: That that's that's a subject that we really need to cut back on. Okay. But <laughs> we'll talk about that tomorrow. And we uh, will. We we absolutely will. <laughs> But I feel like every time we do a good news with the Reverend Doctor, I feel like I... I, I don't feel it. I know I learn I learn things. I learn something new every time. And, Reverend, oh, thank yeah. you for that. Oh, yeah. I appreciate that. All right. Well, Agent C, anything you want to end us with, brother?
2: No. Um, until next time, man. Until next time. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Until then, see you guys next time. Stay woke.
0: This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. The broadcasters of your area, in voluntary cooperation with the FCC and other authorities, have developed this system to keep you informed in the event of an emergency. If this had been an actual emergency, you would have been instructed where to tune in your area for news and official information. This concludes this test of the emergency broadcast system.